Welcome to Balance with Carmen and Ashi, your lifestyle podcast. We're two busy mums trying to find some balance in our lives. We're here to discuss important topics and to have some fun along the way. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Today we have my friend Elle on the podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. (laughs) Elle is an incredible human. She's actually lost so much weight. We'll talk about that soon. And she's an Ironman athlete. Yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking you can tell us a bit about your story of how you got to do Ironman, like what was driving you to be an extreme athlete because that's what you are. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I don't see it as that. But then if you like talk about other Ironman athletes, I would say, yeah, they're like, they're incredible. Like, (laughs) so it's really weird. Let's start with your weight loss journey. Yeah. Tell us a bit about your weight before you decided to make a change and the person you were before that. Yeah. Okay. So my weight before I, I decided was 184 kilos, but that was when I weighed myself. I believe I was heavier than that but at the point that I the tipping point where I weighed myself I had been trying actively trying to lose a little bit of weight it just wasn't working super well I always kind of went through peaks and troughs I guess of weight loss you know you see the things on TV, the the shakes and the magic drinks that you can drink. And, you know, I always, I used to be like, ah, oh, this is it this time. You know, this is going to be my saving grace. I'm going to be skinny. I'm going to be able to lose the weight really easy with this stuff. And, and I'm going to be healthy and fit again. I'll be able to exercise because I couldn't, because I was that heavy that, you know, there was a lot of pressure on my body. Um, and I struggled even to really be able to walk properly. So I'm assuming when you were that size, a physical goal for you was more to walk without pain, nowhere, nowhere near doing an Ironman as such at that time. It was just to be able to walk pain-free, I would assume. Yeah. Or just to be able to walk without having to stop and take a rest. Cause like I'd go a hundred meters and you know, if I went to the shops or something and I'd have to find a seat to sit down for a little bit because I was just carrying a lot of weight around. I was unfit as well. You know, that probably added to it, but, um, my feet would get really sore. Um, and I don't know. I think it was a mix of the diabetes, but also how much I was weighing. I constantly had huge like cracks in my heels, um, to the point they bleed all the time and it was just painful to walk on them. Um, so there was that side of things as well. Um, it just was a really uncomfortable experience. <laughs> and that was your everyday life. Yeah, literally. So what then was the driving factor for you to decide I'm going to do something drastic to lose the weight and, and what did you do? Yeah, so, well, surprisingly, I didn't actually know how heavy I was or I didn't think I was that bad, <laughs> I guess. is I thought maybe I was 120 kilos. Um, so I went to the doctors one day and they, they, they asked me to hop on the scale because you have to, the nurse has to do like a checkup every now and then. So I'm like, yeah, all right. I prepared myself because I never, I didn't own scales. I didn't like scales and I never hop on scales. I'm like, all right, just 
just deal with it. You're fine. You'll be about 120 kilos and that's okay. You know, I was willing to accept that because I knew I was big. Um, so I prepared myself and then I hopped on the scale and it read error. I'm like, oh, your scale's broken. And they're like, mm, no, no, you're just too heavy for them. I'm like, what? Do they only go to a hundred kilos? Like that's silly. And they're like, no, no, they, uh, they go to 150. And I'm like, what? Um, and they're like, yeah, so we're just going to have to, we'll put you on the industrial scale. So I took me to a different room where they put me on like a big, I had to step up onto it. It was like almost like a machine and, um, it read 184 kilos. And I don't know if you've ever had a situation in your life where something has shocked you so much that you kind of start to feel numb and you kind of start to feel like, it's like you can't hear anything. It's like you kind of go deaf in that. Like that little buzz sound and yes. everything else is just silent. Like yeah. what's happening right yeah. now? <laughs> That's how I felt at that point because I saw that weight and like I thought I was 120 kilos. I couldn't believe that that's, that's a lot to get it wrong to start with. You know, like 184, I thought I was 120. That's a lot of weight. Um, and the nurse is like, have you been checked for diabetes? I'm like, no, I avoid doctors. And so then that was the next thing. And they checked me and then the results came back. It took a couple of days, but then, you know, I was still feel, felt like I was still recovering from the whole, how heavy I was. And then I find out I also have type two diabetes quite bad. Um, they, they wanted to put me on the registry and then it just kind of felt like things spiraled at that point. It was after that, it was the sleep apnea. After that, it was, they, they took my driver's license off me because the sleep apnea was really bad. Um, to the point where I stopped breathing in my sleep, my chest was just too heavy and my lungs couldn't, they just couldn't support it properly. Um, yeah, so I just felt like at that point, everything just started to spiral and about the license. So they took it away because they felt like you weren't getting enough sleep at night or Correct. good quality sleep at night. They, they, they were worried that I was that sleep deprived that I would fall asleep behind the wheel. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was a shock. And I mean, I lived in Mount Isa at the time, so everything really, I mean, if I lived back there now, I probably wouldn't use a car. I'd probably walk everywhere because you, really you could. <laughs> but you, being a big girl and struggling to walk 100 metres, that wasn't feasible for me then. So that was within itself, you know, it was a shock. And having to tell my family that was probably the hardest thing because my dad just, he just broke down and he basically begged me. He's like, please, your mother and I, we shouldn't have to bury our daughter. Do something. And so that was the point where I'm like, okay, you know, obviously the whole fad diet thing doesn't work. The whole, I tried to go to the gym. I didn't like the gym. I felt very judged at the gym uh, I still do today, um, and I but but I'd go to the gym and I'd burn three hundred calories, and then I'd be like, "Sweet, I can reward myself now. <laughs> I'll go get Maccas." It doesn't work that way, L. <laughs> and when you're that big, 
getting started and doing anything is a big effort. Yeah. So it would have been extra hard, I'd assume, because, I mean, even if you're 120 kilos, it would be really hard. So I can't imagine being 184 kilos and having yeah. to start on a weight loss journey. It would be very, very daunting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was. And it's because nobody wants to be told that, there's something wrong with them right or that something like that you know like a weight pro like obesity you know nobody wants to hear that they're obese nobody and it's embarrassing and I mean I knew though I knew I was big and I had accepted that just obviously not that big. I hadn't accepted that I was that big but it was embarrassing and I used to act real tough about it though like because I, I feel like it was my way of disguising that it bothered me because I felt like if people saw that I wasn't bothered by it, maybe they wouldn't pick on me so much for it. Like I remember at work one day, we had KFC right next door and I worked at the time at Westpac as a teller. So I was sitting down most of the day. I would go next door to KFC and I'd buy a whole bucket of chicken and I'd eat the whole thing. And I remember one day my colleague walked in and they're like, don't you think that maybe, and she wasn't rude about it, but she's like, maybe you should maybe not have as much or just there's healthier options. And I just would make a joke about it. Like, oh, you know, why stop now? But I feel I knew inside me and it hurt that she'd say that. But my coping mechanism was to act like I didn't care and like it didn't bother me when it did. Deep down it did. But I felt stuck and I felt felt like there was nothing that I could do to change it. So, and because I was, I was obsessed with that type of food, I couldn't help it. I could not help it. You know, I would go and I would eat another bucket in private where no one could see me. I'd lock myself in toilets if I had to, just to eat more of it because I just couldn't help it. And it made me, it was my comfort. It made me feel better, even though at the same time I knew I shouldn't be doing it. I just couldn't help it. And I don't even know the mental side of it. I don't even know why. I can't even explain why, but I did. And so at what stage did you decide to go down the surgery route and who introduced that thought to you? So my doctor mentioned it after the weight thing, like after we weighed me (laughs) and I'm like, no way, I'm not having surgery. Like, and it wasn't so much the weight loss surgery thing. It was just, I didn't want to go under the knife of anything ever. Like I never wanted because, you know, I didn't want to die just just if I, something happened while I was under. Um, so I didn't want surgery. So I'm like, no, I'm going to do something else. I'll go to the gym. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the gym. And it just didn't work. And in the end, I kind of just, I guess, resigned. After the conversation with mum and dad, I resigned to the fact that I wasn't going to do this by myself and I was going to need to enlist some help to do it because – nothing else was working. So it was kind of a last resort sort of thing. I needed 
that push. I really needed it. And there's nothing wrong with admitting you need help. No. I mean, I was in the same situation. And mm. then once you accept it, I think it takes a lot of courage to admit that you need help and taking that step. So yeah. good on you. Yeah. And so then you had your surgery and then you went on the show this time next year, which yeah. I wasn't familiar with because I didn't grow up in Australia. Do you want to explain what the show is about and yeah. how you ended up on it? Yeah. So this time next year is a show that – so basically you make a pledge. I flew to Sydney. I made the pledge on stage with Carl Stefanovic. And then I go off on my way and I've got a year. It literally was a year, a space of a year um, where I had camera crew. They kind of, we were liaised because I lived in Mount Isa and they're like, all right. So my pledge was this time next year, I'm going to do a triathlon. I was a big girl when I made the pledge. What made you want to do a triathlon? Yeah. So, well, it's funny because that show actually wasn't what, what pushed me to want to do it. I kind of, after surgery, I was still at hospital and I ran into two other ladies. They were friends who had gone back. They, they had the same surgery as me about a year and a half prior. Um, so gastric sleeve and they had just gone back to have bypass done because their sleeve they, it failed. Like they regained all the weight, all of it plus more. And they were just really un- unhealthy and they needed to do something else. So they went back to have the bypass. And I freaked out that much from having the surgery I had. I'm like, I am, I am not coming back. No, this needs to work. Uh, what, what do I need to do? And so I did a bit of research. I'm like, fitness, right? Fitness. That's what I need to do. What am I going to do? I used to be a swimmer. Hmm. And it was thinking, ticking through my head. And then I went, flew back to Mount Isa and I was out at the lake. Um, and the tri club were out there swimming. And I'm like, I'm a swimmer, swimming, swimming, swim, triathlon. Hmm. I used to swim with triathletes when I was a swimmer. And I used to wish that I could do what they did because as a swimmer, I could swim. But far out, if I got out of the pool and tried to run, couldn't do it. <laughs> so I'm like, that's a challenge. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> And so four weeks after surgery, literally four weeks, I started training for my first ever short distance triathlon. And it's like something switched inside me. And all of a sudden, and I was still heavy. I did my first triathlon at 170 kilos. So I was still heavy when I did my first triathlon. But yeah, (laughs) that is so heavy to be doing any type of exercise, let alone a triathlon. (laughs) Yeah, I, I know. And but I just, I mean, it, it, obviously there were limiting factors still. The run was definitely more of a shuffle um, and the bike I struggled a lot with. The swimming, I mean, I wasn't fast, but I was a swimmer previously. So the swimming I was okay with, but I was <laughs> because I didn't do a very big distance. It was very short. I literally, I was a, a grown-up adult <laughs> racing five-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like on the start line, it was like all these five-year-olds and me. <laughs> and let's face it, like you wouldn't have been hard to miss either in no. the crowd because you were still much bigger. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally. And like I was, because it was my first one and I didn't fully know what to do. And I, I remember in transition from um, the swim to the bike, I like asked one of the five-year-olds what to do because they were like, I don't know. They've done it a lot. I would say back then I would have said, oh, they're professional. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was, 
it, yeah, it was an experience, but I loved it, obviously, because <laughs> here I am today. Um, but that's kind of what drove me into triathlon. Obviously, with this time next year, I decided I was going to do an Ironman. But in the lead up to Ironman, Noosa Tri was going to be my triathlon that I did on the show. So I'd done my first little one and then I got asked to apply for the show this time next year. Someone's like, you should apply for this. And so I did and I got a call back, like almost straight away it felt like. Um, Yeah, and flown down to Sydney, made my pledge on stage. So with your pledge, you said that, was it an Olympic distance triathlon? No. So uh, I wanted to say that, but they're like, you know, most normal people don't understand. They just see triathlon as triathlon. So we're just going to say triathlon. What was the distance? Uh, so Noosa Tri Olympic distance is a 1.2K swim, I think it is, 20K bike and 20, is it 20, 20? 40, 40K. I think it's 40K bike. <laughs> I don't do that You've done so much many. anymore. You've done so many now, it's all a blur. <laughs> yeah, and the run is 10K. I, I remember that bit. Yeah, literally I hopped on stage and just made my pledge and then walked off and then the cameras kind of followed me a little bit in training and um, at the race they followed me as well. So And then so you've already had your sleeve by the time you made the pledge. So yeah. I'm assuming come the next year yeah. you would have lost yeah. a lot of weight. Literally like pretty much had lost all of my weight at that point. I lost pretty much all, all of my weight within the first year of surgery. In fact, it was even the first six months. It was really quick because my total loss was 120 kilos and then I did have a bit of regain. But that 120 came off with in about six months because of the training that I was doing as well. You know, it just fell off. So yes, I was pretty much at my thinnest when I walked back onto stage and that would have felt really good. It did. And cause they'd sort of, they dressed me really well and they'd done my hair and makeup and the song that I walked back out onto stage with was pink, just like fire because everyone, and still today I get told I look like pink. And so that's the song, Just Like Fire, as I walked onto stage and I remember I walked out and Carl hadn't seen me until that point. And I've walked onto stage and we had to do a retake because Carl's like, wait, we've got the wrong, I think we've got the wrong story. (laughs) He thought you were a different person. Yeah, yeah, because my story wasn't a weight loss one. Um, And obviously he'd had to watch the previous time I was on stage with him just to remember everything and so he was expecting still a bigger girl to come out (laughs) and I wasn't so we had to retake it and do it again and I've walked out and and the words that Carl said to me and they still resonate with me today is look how far you've come and to think about it then it resonated with me but I just wish that now he could see me now because I've done so much more, like so, so much more. You know, I'd only just done an Olympic distance triathlon at that point. Um, yeah, so <laughs> it was it was an interesting experience, that's for sure. I really wish I could go back now and be like, well, you know, you saw me then, um, but now I've done multiple full Ironman and I've attempted Ultraman. So... You know, like my story's just progressed so much. 
um, which I'm really proud of. Yeah, you should be. It is an incredible story. So by the time you then went on stage, have you already done the triathlon or were they then going to follow you to go do it? No. So on the stage behind me, they actually had playing while I was talking my race basically in Noosa. So I'd already done the race and it was actually – so that's when the race was filmed, but it was actually a couple of months after that that I went back to Sydney to go back on stage with Carl. That's so good. And I think it would have been a really good feeling to walk out on stage and blow people's minds yeah. pretty much because yeah. I've seen a clip of it and it was almost like on The Biggest Loser where they've got the old you and then the doors open and then you walk out. And yeah. I just love those kinds of reveals. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so from there, what was it that pushed you to want to do a full Ironman? And for those who don't know, can you explain – how long the different distances are for the swim, the bike, and the run. Yeah, so a full Ironman is a 3.8-kilometre swim, a 180-kilometre bike ride, and a 42.2-kilometre run, so a full marathon run at the end. Uh, It's all done over one day. The cutoff is, I think it's 16 and a half or 16 hours, I think, is the cutoff for a full Ironman. My driving factor I guess for a full Ironman because I decided after my first really short distance triathlon that I was going to do a full Ironman and I think it's just because I don't do things in halves I just don't I never have (laughs) I always I'm like right well what is the craziest thing I can do perfect done that's what I'm doing Uh, and then I tend don't tend to I don't I always do what I say I'm going to do. Um, yeah, so I just – I didn't know lots about Ironman at the point when I decided I was going to do it. I just knew it was crazy um, and not many people did it. You know, a lot of people prefer to go for the half Ironman as opposed to the full. Um, and, yeah, I, I feel like I did kind of go into it a, a little bit blind, but I think as anyone does going into their first full Ironman, unless you've been around triathlon your whole life, which I had not, I was very new to the triathlon game. Um, and so I just kind of embraced things. I think I got a coach, um, and I was just relying on them to kind of get me to, to that start line. Um, in the lead up, I did my first half Ironman, which was Cairns Ironman in 2017. Um, and then six months after doing my first half Ironman, I was lining up on the start line of my first full Ironman in Bustleton in Western Australia. Um, yeah, bloody nervous. I had no idea if I was going to finish or not, but, um, and this is something that I say to so many people because so many people don't do it for this reason is that they don't know if they're going to make cutoffs. And I always say, cause I always go into things, not sure if I'm going to finish either, but I still do it. And I always say to people, I'm like, if you go, if you don't do it for the fear of not making cutoffs, how do you know if you actually can make cutoffs? Like, because I went into it not knowing if I was going to make cutoffs and I did, I surprised myself. I made cutoffs. I was blown away by, by how quick I actually was, but you don't know. Well, you, do have, it. you have to try. Yeah. 
like that's me with my half marathon. I just wanted to make cutoff, yeah. which was about three hours. And then I surprised myself and yeah. took half an hour off the time I was aiming for. Yeah. Like I think the adrenaline probably plays a big part too. Yeah. Would you say in a race of that magnitude that adrenaline still plays a part? Or is it like you get so drained throughout the day <laughs> that adrenaline can't get you anywhere anymore? <laughs> I think adrenaline might get you in the, in the swim, maybe like in the first 500 meters of the swim. Well, for me, adrenaline does. It pumps me up in the first, say, 500 meters of the swim, and then I settle into it. And for the rest of the day, it's because you don't want a high heart rate, and I feel like adrenaline is a high heart rate. (laughs) So you kind of want to try and keep your heart rate down for, for a race of that magnitude as much as you can. And, yeah, so I think for me, every Ironman I do, it's like you get pumped up and you get in the water and you start swimming because the start of an Ironman, it's not like a normal race where everyone just goes at once. It's kind of they they let two athletes at a time into the water every few seconds. So I always wondered about that with the amount of people swimming. Yeah. It's probably safer to do it that way yeah. too. Yeah, and literally your time doesn't start until you walk over the starting mat. So once they – let you go through the gates because you kind of funnel through like a gate. They call it a rolling start. And it's literally they've just got a beeper that goes beep, beep, beep. And every time it beeps, they let two more swimmers through. So it's a constant stream of swimmers going into the water. And so you kind of get nervous and you're walking up and you're shuffling up into the gates and you funnel through and then you're at the front. And that's when the nerves really start to like, oh, all right, all right, all right, we've got this. Let's Let's do it. Um, and then you get into the water and it takes, usually I say to the first turning buoy because you swim out off the shore and then there's a turning buoy where you turn and you start to swim along. Usually I say once I get to that first turning buoy, that's when race mode kind of kicks in and it's like, all right, just get into a relaxed rhythm. When preparing for a race like this, I know most athletes don't necessarily want to share their training regime however what does a typical week of training look like in the lead up to an Ironman event yeah so talking hours of training it can be between 20 to 25 hours a week of training it really that's a part-time job yeah (laughs) yeah Ultraman was like 30 hours a week yeah crazy it depends though some coaches are different um I've had a few different coaches now and and not one coach that I've had has we've had the same lead up to to Ironman training. It's all different. So it just depends on the coach and what that coach is focused on, but also the athlete as well, strengths and weaknesses and that type of stuff. Like a four-hour bike ride is a normal ride and a hour and a half swim is a normal swim. So, you know, four hours swim, that's not quite so normal. Yeah, so it would be very individualized yeah. based on – yeah, your ability and what your strong points are. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll be training running, bike, and swimming. Are there days where you're doing all three or do you usually focus on two per day? Or? Yeah, so usually it's two per day and then you do a brick session generally once a week, usually on your longer days, and a brick session sometimes can be all three. Um, so brick basically means where you're literally doing one and then the other. So for example, you might go out for a long ride. It could be a five-hour ride, and then you'll come in and you'll do a run off the bike. Where So you're literally, there's no stopping. You're just straight from your bike, straight runners on and off you go running because practicing that transition between 
bike to run is important because the change in what the muscles are doing, if you don't practice that transition, you end up cramping and it can not be so much fun, if that makes sense. Yeah. But same with practicing hopping straight out of the water onto the bike as well. Same sort of thing. Some people find that they can get quite disoriented and a bit dizzy after swimming. Um, so practicing that swim to bike is also quite important as well. So they're called brick sessions. Well, I would love to do a triathlon and I'm looking into it. So um, I had Lita suggest the bribey try yeah. and you suggested it as well. Yeah. So I might look into doing a little five-year-old's <laughs> race. <laughs> I'll do bribery with you. It is a fun okay. one. It's a fun, yeah. I'll it's catch fun. your, what is it, in the water? Wake. Yeah. <laughs> you can drag me along. <laughs> um, so many people only think about the physical aspect of competing in such an extreme event, um, and they don't always take into account the mental part. So which is more difficult aspect in preparing for a competition like this? Is it the physical or the mental, or do you think it's equally difficult? You know, physically – Anybody could do a race of that magnitude, anyone, literally, but it comes down to the mental strength to be able to finish something like that. The mental strength, and trust me, in a race of that magnitude, so I've done many, Ironman, I've lost count, nine maybe, eight, nine, I don't know, Um, and the pulling factor out of every single one of those Ironmans that I've done is my mental strength and my mental strength to continue on when I physically feel as though, even though I haven't, it's in my mind I have checked out. My body just feels like it's checked out. So, um, Ken's Ironman recently, um, I went into that race with a bad back and, um, about, I'd say about at the hundred K mark, so I still had 80 Ks to go. Um, I, I stopped at aid station. I was crying. I had to lay down. I had to get off my bike and lay down on the ground because it was the only relief I could get for my back. And I was on the ground crying. And I, all the volunteers were like looking at me. They're like, maybe you should stop. <laughs> uh, and I'm just, I'm like, no, no, leave me alone. Don't touch me. <laughs> and I just, I just kept my head down. And I didn't look at anyone because I knew I'd cry again. And I just hopped back on the bike and I just kept going. And I think, you know, if I was listening to my body, I, I would have pulled out. But my mental strength is really strong and I know that. And that's what I was pulling from. I finished that race. You know, I, I had in my head at that point, I'm like, no, I'm just going to finish the bike. And then that's it. I'm not going to do the marathon run. And then I got in and I'm like, no, Al. Yeah, I talk to myself all the time mid-race. No, Al. Why would you pull out now? And so I'm like, all right, look, it's not been a great race. It hadn't been. Uh, so I'll just get onto the run and I'll do what I can. And if they pull me off course because I'm not going to make cutoff, then that's the end of my race. But I didn't get pulled off course because I did make cutoff within an hour. So I'm like, all right, well, it looks like I'm finishing this race, but it was the worst. I think it's probably the worst one I've done. But you know, that sort of thing. And then obviously everyone knows about the blister thing in Hawaii, you know, um, five Ks into the run, someone squirted me with water and I had my shoes filled up and then the blisters started probably at about the 10 K mark into the 42.2 K run. I was on the side of the road, took my shoes off. The blisters were that bad that my foot was shaking. Um, but somehow, you know, and in my head, I, I, I did, I had 
my parents, they weren't there in Hawaii. They were back home in Cairns and they, I knew that they would have been glued to that TV watching as I go through checkpoints to make sure I was okay. Cause mum and dad freak out that I'm now that they, they worried that I was going to die because of my weight. Now they worry that I'm going to die because of my exercise. Stuff. You just worry your parents. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, mum and dad. Um, and so I knew that they were going to be watching and I didn't want them to worry. So I just put my shoes back on. I'm like, right, I just need to get to that next checkpoint. And I went through that one and I'm like, just need to keep going. Um, it was very slow. Um, I was in a, an immense amount of pain. Uh, but once I crossed the finish line, I knew I could relax. And so straight into a wheelchair cause I couldn't walk. <laughs> I don't know how I got to the finish line. And yeah, but again, that's the mental strength, you know, that's what got me over. My body was breaking down, but but mentally I knew I could and I wasn't killing myself. I'm still alive. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's huge in those sort of races, the mental side of things. Yeah, I mean, even for myself, yeah, I'm no elite athlete. But for me, I've done my half marathon now and that's the most elite thing I've done. And the same. There's parts where you might feel like your body can't keep going, but you have to find that mental strength to keep pushing through. And I think that's why I like doing things that seem crazy at the time, because then once you've done it, you're like, not just anyone can get up and go do it. Mm. And I think that's what sort of motivates me. And that's why I want to now do more Yeah, because you kind of get addicted to it as well. Yeah. 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 So like, do you have any upcoming events that you're looking forward to? Uh, So I'm doing sunny coast 70.3. So half Ironman in four weeks. I think it's nearly three weeks now. And then after that, so I'm taking a step back from the full Ironman for a little bit. My body is not doing so well. I've just got a lot of injury and, you know, mentally it's a tough decision to make, but I sat with my coach and we agreed it needs to happen because I've lost some speed. I've been doing Ironman now for about six years, triathlon for about six years. I'm losing speed at the moment. We need to regain that. So to do that, I need to take a step back from the long stuff just for a little bit to work on the shorter stuff, the faster stuff. And then in a year to a year and a half, depending on how the body is going, we'll, we'll, I guess it will be a race by race basis that we kind of judge it off. Once I start to pick the speed up a bit, we'll then go back to the full Ironman because the goal now with the full Ironman is to qualify for Hawaii. So I've raced Hawaii as an ambassador athlete, um, but I want to qualify. I actually want to go through that step and to qualify, you need to be calm. You need to be top of your age group um, in full Ironman. So that's tough. My, my age group, they're just getting faster. (laughs) So, that's that's the goal. And to do that, unfortunately, I have to step back to the shorter stuff for a little. It's not a long time though, and you'll be able to work on that and come back even stronger anyway. Yeah. Age won't hold you back. There's this woman called Madonna, and she's known as the Iron Nun, <laughs> and I just love her. She, they had to create an age division for her in Ironman because she just kept racing and racing. And um, I remember hearing about her about 10 years ago. She is, yeah, so Madonna Buddha, 
is her name and she's a nun and she would run a lot and then she entered a triathlon and um yeah so every year she was 75 and they had to make a 75 plus division so that she can keep racing in it yeah and I just thought if she can do it like anyone can and it just shows that your age is no limiting factor absolutely like if you need to take some time off now you're still young yeah so you'll be able to race till you're 75 and break Madonna's records that she's set so funny (laughs) Funny story on that. So when I did my first full Ironman, there was an 87-year-old Japanese man who raced. uh, And obviously here he qualified for Hawaii because he was the only one in his age group. Um, And so when he went back to Hawaii, I think he was like 89. Little Japanese man. He didn't speak much English, but insane, amazing, like absolutely amazing amazing story and he's who I draw inspiration from because I, I always say I'm like you know what if if I'm 90 when I qualify to race in Hawaii I don't care because I've not put I have not put a limit on that that goal that's just a goal that I'll get there when I get there but that's always going to be a goal so whether it be that I'm 90 and I'm still trying for that goal that's fine if I never get there I'm happy with that still too because at least I tried, you know, and I haven't given up and I haven't, you know, so many people, they set a goal and they go, in a year I'm going to do this. And then <laughs> they don't get there in a year and they're like, oh, well, and they just give up. So I hate putting time limits on goals because I believe that a goal is always something that you want to do. If you don't or if it's not something that you're willing to do, over your whole life then really it wasn't that important to you do you know what I mean so yeah so how do you feel for a race of this magnitude because I know when you've had a sleeve there's limitations in how much you can eat and drink at the same time um, and also just how much you can consume at a time so to race and then fuel accordingly with the amount of carbs you need to take in. Cause you've mentioned to me pri- previously that you work out the amount of carbs you need to take in per hour. And then, um, do you mostly take that in when you're on the bike? Cause you can eat. Yeah. So actually just quickly to the carb thing, I'm shocked. Obviously I work at a bike shop and the amount of people who don't understand, like they'll come in and they'll buy one gel because they're going to do a two hour or three hour race. And I'm like, wait, one gel, that's all you're going to have, you know? And I think you were the same. I'm pretty sure. Um, and then they're like, yeah, isn't that all I need? Just one. I'm like, maybe two every hour. Maybe. (laughs) I remember we were at your house and it's the night before my half marathon and we're working out what my carb intake should be, something I probably should have done a little bit before the night before. And I had my little um, cliff blocks ready to go and I had three or four packets luckily. And I thought I had to have like one little block per hour, maybe every 40 minutes. And you worked it out and I had to have an entire pack of five blocks every 40 minutes yeah and it blew my mind that I had to actually consume that much Mm. throughout the race it does people don't understand it and so that's why because when I I was having this conversation with somebody who doesn't do Ironman or anything like that either and she's like what do you mean it's hard to carry it all on the bike with you I'm like it's hard you've got to think about it how you're going to carry everything and they're like what like what you probably need two gels like, why don't you just put it in the backpack of your cycling jersey? I'm like, oh, no, no, trust me. No. 
I use, I would use like maybe nearly four gels per hour and I'm on the bike for at least six plus hours. You work that out. And she's like, oh. So that's 24 gels. Do you do you try to mix the things that you use to fuel? Or Yeah. So I, I don't use gels. I can't. They just don't work for me. My first Ironman, I did try and use gels and it just doesn't work for me. Gels don't work. So uh, I still don't fully know what works for me. <laughs> I'm constantly still trying to figure it out. I have no race day is the same uh, either. No, exactly. And my problem is I don't want sweet stuff and all <laughs> race nutrition is sweet. <laughs> Regardless, it's hard. Have you ever had like a little yeah. sandwich on the bike? Yes, I do. I take sandwiches on the bike with me when I race. So I like Vegemite sandwiches. Um, and sometimes I might take like peanut butter and honey, but I find I don't reach for them much because again, the honey sweetness, I prefer salty and not sweet. So Vegemite sandwiches work really well. Um, and they, they've still got a bit of carb in them as well. I try and find the highest carb bread that I can find, but I do prefer sourdough as well because it's a little, your stomach just processes that a little better. But I think the biggest thing that you need to remember when you're doing a race of that magnitude is your stomach will stop processing stuff properly. It Because, because it's under constant, you've got to think of your stomach as a muscle as well. Your legs are working hard your stomach muscle is also working really hard to process the stuff that you're putting into it. And eventually your legs will give out on you, right? You know, they eventually, they get sore, you start cramping, your stomach can do the same thing. You've got to remember that. So the easier to process stuff that you put in, the better. Things that most people don't think about, you know. Well, no one really races like races this big either. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Most people will only go for their bike ride or for their run. They're not doing it back to back. Yeah. And you would probably, obviously, you're not having anything while swimming, so you're getting out of there and then do you have something Yeah, so before away? I hop in for the swim, I'll have something just before I start the race. And then as soon as I get out, I'll have water first just because you will swallow some salt water in the swim at some point. It always happens, no matter how good or bad of a swimmer you are. Joe Blow will hit you over the head or someone will kick you in the face and you just end up swallowing some water. It, it happens. Um, so I always wash my, wash my mouth out with water first and then I'll have some nutrition of some sort to get it down. But usually I'll do that as I'm running through transition so as I'm running through I'll have water as I'm running chuck something over my head as well because that's the other thing that a lot of people don't think about is the salt on your skin from the swim can also dehydrate you so the showers are there to try and get the salt off you so that because they're that that salt on your skin it's dehydrating you as well so then a lot of people don't think about that in shorter distance stuff it's not such a big deal but when you're doing an Ironman you're going to be out in the sun on the bike for six hours plus then you've also got a marathon to run after that it's important (laughs) yeah and so how do you stay hydrated it's hard and I don't honestly think it's something I've even really nailed in the amount I've done it's something I'm constantly working on um and everyone's also very different um on the bike, I have a fuel cell 
on the back of my bike, it's a big fin thing. I call it, it's called the bat wing. <laughs> and it's, there's a straw that goes up through the frame of my bike and comes up the front so I can sip at it. Um, and that gets refueled a few times throughout the ride as I'm going along. There's aid stations on the bike. So every 20 kilometers on the bike, there's aid stations and there's volunteers holding water bottles. If you want, they've got water bottles or there's on course nutrition as well. So it just depends who the nutrition sponsor of the race is, which is also very important to know. I recommend that people try and do some training with the on course nutrition of any race that they're doing, because at least then they know if something's gone wrong with their nutrition or they lose their nutrition off the bike, they know that they can use the on-course nutrition. It might not be preference, but they know that it will work. Yeah, you don't want to try a gel for the first time while doing an Ironman. No, no. Shit yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I did in Kent, not shit myself, but I did have to try one of the new on-course nutritions because I hadn't taken my own advice for, for Cairns. Uh, and on the bike, I forgot to pick my nutrition up at special needs. So on the bike of an Ironman halfway, there's special needs, which is where you will stop and pick up more nutrition because you can't, you just can't carry everything on the bike. It's hard, especially when you're going to be out there for six plus hours. So you stop and restock everything, but I'd forgot to put my gels, my, uh, sorry, my nutrition in my back pockets. And so I've got to an aid station. I'm like, uh-oh, what am I meant to do? I'm just going to have to use the on-course gels. I'd never tried these gels before, and they weren't like normal gels. They were like jelly, literally like just like jelly, like airplane jelly. And I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting to have gel go into my mouth. And when it wasn't, I kind of freaked out a little bit. And you could, could see it, on, the volunteer could see it on my face. I've like put it in my mouth and my eyes have kind of gone big, like what the hell is this? <laughs> uh, but it actually was pretty good. So Lucky. I, yeah, I grabbed a few and was able to use them, but, and I didn't poo on the run. So that's I've crazy. seen the elite guys who win. Yeah. They won't stop. And no. I've seen some of them. Yeah poo themselves yeah, just to keep going yeah, so they yeah. have a good time yeah well not a good time shitting themselves like a good finish time <laughs> yeah. for the race <laughs> yeah it's true the, the the winners like the professionals they will and they'll pee on their bikes too the the professionals get paid to do this stuff and it's good money and that's their wage so if they have to stop to go to the toilet and then someone t- overtakes them and that person ends up winning that would suck yeah you know? so yeah <laughs> shit yourself for an income (laughs) so um what goes through your head when you're about to finish and then how does it feel when you cross that finish line yeah so and every Ironman without a doubt I've done many of them now and it's always the same just I mean first it's relief (laughs) it's relief it's like oh god thank god that's done I can sit down now um but It's pride. And because honestly, every single Ironman I've done, I have had to overcome something through that race to get to that finish line. And there have, every race I do, there are many points throughout the day where I am ready to give up. And I've had to push through that. I've had to push through pain. I've had to push through so much throughout that day to get to that finish line is just, yeah, it's, I can't explain it. And a side note to our listeners, something I learned recently that I did not know is that there's no music or headphones no. allowed. So you're literally 
that entire day you're yep. with your own thoughts. Yeah. It's like a therapy session probably, like <laughs> dealing with every single thought. It's You can't just play a good song on repeat to push through. No. Like you have to really work on what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, literally like, yeah, bike and run, you can't have nothing. So it's why I say to people, always make sure you train by yourself. Like most of your sessions should be by yourself. You should run by yourself and you should ride by yourself because if you're riding with other people and you're relying on that conversation on the bike, you're, you're not allowed to, it's a non-drafting race. You can get pulled up and get a penalty if you're too close to another cyclist. So you can't be close to other cyclists to have a chat. So you're literally out there on the bike by yourself for six plus hours. Um, yeah, so I always say to people, make sure you train alone because you are not going to have that other person there to chat to while you're racing. The run, different. You generally will find somebody who's similar pace to you and you kind of might have conversations here and there throughout the, the day. And the aid stations, the volunteers are incredible. Look, if anything, the volunteers of a race like that are monumental. Like, I wouldn't get through those races ever, not one of them, without the volunteers. On the bike, every 20 kilometers, I knew I relied on seeing those volunteers every 20 kilometers. It was like something to look forward to. I'm like, yeah. And they're always so full of energy. They're out there all freaking day. And energy is transferable as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be good. Yeah. I like whenever on a run there's the music and the entertainment stations too, where yeah. you can just like feel the vibe as you're going yeah. through. Yeah. That would be really good. Yeah. Now, a question I didn't ask earlier, but, and I think it's evident, but which part of the triathlon is your strongest and which is your weakest and why? Yeah. So I'm a swimmer. <laughs> so the swimmer is my strongest leg. Did you swim in school? Or? Yes. Yeah. So I was a swimmer as a kid. Um, I, sw- I swam at a high, high level, like I swam at a state level um, and it's just what I did. Literally, I felt like it was in, in my DNA at some point because I started when I was in grade five and I didn't stop swimming until after I left school. So I was a swimmer for a really long period of time. Running, <laughs> running, I don't love running. I don't love it. I don't know. Someone asked me, it might have been you, you know, when why don't you do a marathon or something? I'm like, yeah. No, I'll do it if it's part of a triathlon because I enjoy triathlon, like the full thing. I don't love running enough just to do running. I'll do a cycling race and I'll do a swimming race just by themselves. I mean, I have done a couple of just running events and I just don't enjoy them. I don't know why. Trail running? Yeah, I don't mind trail running, but still, it's just still not my favorite. I don't know. Someone's like, and you ran 84 kilometers for Ultraman. And you don't love it? Why would you do that? Like, again, it's still part of a triathlon. So do you find that it's really hard to finish on the running leg? Someone's asked me previously if, because they're like, I think it would be better to have the swim last. So, you know, you can do the bike and you can do the run and then you can cool off in the water. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so because the run and the bike, well, for me anyway, takes the most out of you. And I think... For a lot of other athletes as well who maybe prefer running and cycling, they're going to push themselves really, really hard in the run and cycle 
and then leave nothing for the swim. And I feel like, first of all, it's going to cause drownings. You've got nothing left, right? Oh, that would make sense why the swim is first because you aren't exhausted Yeah, you most likely won't drown. I've never thought of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the way that the triathlon is set out is perfect. Do the one that I hate the most last. I'm happy with that. If you become disorientated from being so exhausted, you also don't want to like pass out on a bike. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it does make sense. I never thought of it that way, Mm -hmm. but doing the swim and then the bike and then the run, they clearly thought about these things. Yeah. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) What advice do you have for someone just starting out? So who would love to try and do a half Ironman, what is some advice that you would have? Go into it not really understanding your own ability because I'm pretty sure you'll surprise yourself. But the thing is, I think maybe go into it with the mentality of who cares about the cutoff? If you don't make the cutoff, so be it. It gives you something to focus on for next time. But if you do make the cutoff, then... You're an Ironman. Well, a half. Yeah. 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 So it's just because so many people, that's the biggest thing. That's their biggest worry is the cut, making cutoffs. And I don't think it should be because look at me with Ultraman. I went into Ultraman almost feeling like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to finish this race or not, but I'm going to try my bloody hardest too. Let's just tell the listeners how insane (laughs) Ultraman is. So you've got... Half Iron Man, then you've got full Iron Man, and then you have an Ultraman. <laughs> what is an Ultraman? Yeah, so the distances of Ultraman is a 10 kilometer swim, a 420 kilometer bike, and then an 84.4 kilometer run. It's set out over three days. So day one is 10 kilometer swim plus 187 kilometers on the bike, I think it is. Um, day two, is the rest of the bike, which is close to about 300. Uh, and then day three is the 84.4 kilometer run. So it's being able to back it up day by day. Yeah. And you've gone to an Ultraman and you've done majority of it. You keep saying I attempted it. And I feel like you need to tell everyone how much of it you actually completed. <laughs> so I did day one. I finished day one. Day two, I was pulled off course with, I think there might've been maybe a hundred K to go, give or take. Um, and then day three, I decided, even though I was pulled off course on day two, I decided I was going to line up and do day three and just see how it goes. Even though I knew at that point, I wasn't going to be an ultra man. Um, I just wanted to do the run anyway, probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. <laughs> 84.4k run so I finished the run (laughs) incredible so you've done all of it minus 100 kilometers on the bike pretty much yeah you need to (laughs) give yourself a bit more credit that is incredible thank you I think it's just been hard it's just been hard because I had so many people telling me that it wasn't incredible (laughs) after the race yeah well they are keyboard warriors who probably don't walk more than 100 meters to go get their mackers so (laughs) let's not let that bother us. Um, you have been a victim of bullying online, but I think you need to try and make the most of that and use it to fuel your racing. And because at the end of the day, you can't really change yeah. what people are going to say to you. You can just cha- um, try and change how you respond to it and yeah. how you use that to make yourself better. Yeah. I think an Ultraman, I guess, for a bari- bariatric 
patient is very uncharted territory. And because that's sort of where we kind of, we went wrong is, is I didn't eat anywhere near enough to keep myself going. Um, well, for people that don't know, after you've had a sleeve, you can't eat and drink at the same time in the beginning. I know over time some people can, but your limitation is still there. So trying to fuel enough for not just the eating side, but then also the drinking side to stay hydrated, mm. it's a full-time job to constantly think about what you can have next, when you can have it, mm. allowing enough time for your body to not ache and pain if you ate or drank too fast or too close together. Yeah. And then all the while busy racing as well. Yeah. And with Ultraman, because it was it, – it literally, like, you have a look at some of the other athletes and what they were eating on the nights in between. So in so at the end of day one, so have a look at some of the things that some of the other athletes were posting that they were having. They were having a whole smorgasbord, like a whole table full of food, and they were finishing it all, whereas I had a bite of steak and a little bit of some sweet potato mash, and I was full, and I had to go to bed because, again, sleep and rest and recovery is huge as well. So I couldn't stay up super late trying to eat all this food. I had to go to bed. So it's just hard. It, it's hard. I've learnt from it, and, and hopefully next time I attempt it, we do better. So you, know. you, you do want to do another Ultraman? I'm going to do it again. I'm going to finish this race. It's a goal. Again, I might not the next time I attempt to do Ultraman, maybe I won't finish either, but I'll learn more things and I'll see how I've progressed from the first time. To me, it's important. I, I set myself out to do this this thing and it's something I want, it's something I, I need to do for myself. I just, I do, I want to finish it. I don't know when. I haven't put a time limit on it. At first, I sort of said in 2023, it's not going to be in 2023. So now I've kind of just, I've settled with the fact that, look, let's just see. I'll know when I'm feeling right that I'm ready to attempt it again. But you're doing something just as important. You're knowing when to listen to your body and when to take rest, which yeah. often for athletes or anyone in the sporting world who likes to be active, it's very hard to stop and actually take the time needed to rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I find that sometimes it's harder for me to not go to training than it is to push myself to actually go. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's so true. So true. And it is something that I think a lot of people and not just bariatric patients, but athletes I know on social media, uh, who triathletes who they do, they'll, they'll go. And I used to as well, they'll train tired or injured and then they make things worse. Um, so I have learned, I mean, like I said, I've been doing triathlon now for about six years and I've learned a lot in that six years about my body, about nutrition, about racing in general. Like there's a lot that I know now. And so I feel like I'm getting wiser and wiser as the years go. I'm not saying I'm perfect because I'm definitely not. And there still are days where I have pushed through sessions when I'm tired and I shouldn't have. You don't get anything from it. It doesn't benefit you in any way to start a session exhausted from the previous day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's me at the moment recovering from surgery and yeah. not being able to train and I'm finding it so hard, but I know that if I just listen to my body and let it recover, yeah. I'll be back at it. If I am stupid and do something now, I might be out of training for longer. Yeah. So, yeah. And I've got my run, the GC50 coming up, yeah. the 25 kilometer run. So 
I would like to be able to do that and not have to take too much time off yeah. leading up to it. Yeah. I'm still trying to convince you to come do that with me. <laughs> I remember. I just, as you said that, I remembered you looked at me <laughs> like a look. You had a look in your face, in your eyes. I'm like, oh, shit, that's right. I, I feel like we've had this conversation. Yep. I already booked an Airbnb for it too. <laughs> There's a bed ready. It's got your name on it. We're going to go do this run. When is it? The 3rd of December. Oh, Yeah. All right. Okay. You've heard it here. <laughs> Elle is doing the 25K with me. <laughs> Why not? All righty. So thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate your time and I get to hang out with you now after. So that's fun. <laughs> um, if anyone would love to follow along your journey, which yeah. is incredible to watch unfold on Instagram or any socials, where can they find you? Yeah. So Instagram is just L underscore Goodall. I think if you just search in L space Goodall, it comes up. And Facebook is L's journey to good health. Now, just to end this lovely chat, which I've been enjoying a lot, what is a quote or something that you really dig deep for when you need that extra push? Like, is there a quote or a mantra that you live by or that has inspired you over time that is important to you? Yeah, I mean, there's been... There has been many. I feel like the, the biggest one is probably I'll tell myself to shut up. <laughs> I'll be like, no, L, shut up. Just keep going. <laughs> That's literally it. Yeah. On my bike, I actually have a sticker that says, shut the fuck up, legs. Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever works. Yeah, exactly, right? Exactly. <laughs> I have another sticker on my bike that says, you are strong beyond measure. And I like that too, because sometimes we don't like, we don't give ourselves enough credit for actually how strong we are. And I know I don't like, I know you don't. don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I know. So yeah, that one just kind of rings it back and just reminds me that I'm a lot stronger than what I actually think I am. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Our Facebook group is called Balance with Carmen and Ashi. Make sure to join it for updates on upcoming episodes. Our socials are also found in the show notes. And here's your daily reminder to move your body, take your vitamins and drink your water. Until next time. <laughs>